Well, let's turn to the Word of God, shall we? Please turn to James chapter 4. I'm starting a new series based on our prophetic calendar this year. Our prophetic teams pray towards the end of each year for directives from the Lord, how to lead us, how to guide us. And part of our prophetic word for 2019 is an authentic fellowship or koinonia with Jesus. The time of playing church needs to be over. Those who are playing church are going to start running away from church because the persecution is going to be too great. And so it is important for us to draw near to God in an authentic relationship with Jesus, not to just have some knowledge of him and not just to attend a church about him, but for each one of us to have a unique, intimate relationship with him. Amen? And so what the Lord would say to us is for us to draw near to him. And so let us pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand what that means. Holy Spirit, would you open our ears to hear and our hearts to be open and not guarded against you, but to invite your word and message into us, that we would respond to you, Jesus, and not a sense of religion that we would truly, in our true self, respond to you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul said this interesting statement in 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3. He said, I feel a divine jealousy for you, church at Corinth, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. He, he's their best man, if you will. He introduced this church to Jesus Christ, and he says, you're the bride, and I'm preparing you, and I'm going to guard you. I'm jealous over you that you would receive the pure love of Jesus, and you wouldn't go astray. You wouldn't get involved with somebody else. The verse right after this, he says this, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And he's using this analogy in a marriage, and he's saying, you're virgin, you're, you're, you are betrothed to Jesus Christ, and I'm jealous to protect you that you wouldn't stray and go with another. But he said, I'm really concerned because you got eyes looking. And he's saying to the church that there's spiritual adultery going on. That we're easily captivated. Instead of saying pure to Jesus' word, we're going out with strangers. We're entertaining different ideas, ideologies, thoughts, actions, and participating in them. The Apostle Paul is saying, man, I'm jealous over you. I have to fight for you. Watch what you're doing. Jesus said the same thing to the church at Ephesus. And he, and he said, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the work you did at first. What's he saying to this bride of Jesus? Why are you checking out everybody else? You've lost your first love. Jesus is your love. 
You're to stay a virgin. You're to stay pure for him. Why are you dating someone else? You've left him like this guy checking out another girl. How does Jesus feel? We, we, we don't think of him. You see, we're not communing deeply with him to understand that our glances towards other things are an offense to him. We're not staying pure. Now, that encompasses a lot of things. A pure word, a pure faith, uh, pure actions. Remember, we house the very spirit of God's own nature, his holiness within us. And how many of us grieve the Holy Spirit? When you read about grieving the Holy Spirit in the book of Galatians, Paul is talking about that, and the subject matter is how we're treating one another. Do you know that we're grieving the Holy Spirit by how we're talking to each other? And it's an offense to the Lord. And, and I'm telling you that these are the things that get into, in the way of our intimacy with Jesus. Because if you're fooling around, and many Christians are just fooling around on Jesus, we want, we want the wedding ring. We want the covenant. But some folks are swingers out there. They're messing around. They're playing the field while they're betrothed. And this is exactly what James starts talking about. We're cheating on God. We're cheating on God. We're, we might get a little Bible reading in. We, but how many of us are absolutely preoccupied by all the distractions of everything else. Everything else has caught your gaze. Everything else is stealing your attention. Except your betrothed. And except your love. He, he is there. He is persistent. He is calling you. He is wooing you. He is speaking to you and I. He, he's speaking to me in the morning when I rise. Will I listen to him or my belly? I need some Captain Crunch. I'll get to you in a minute, Jesus. I must attend to me. And then, oh yeah, I was going to read that portion of scripture in my book I'm studying, and I was going to get to that. Oh my gosh, it's running late. I'll just put a Christian song in while I drive. Boy, this traffic's crazy, and, I, and I'm lost in something else. Oh, my phone, I didn't check my phone. Did I get any messages last night? What's new on Facebook? What's all this? So many distractions, and our love, our first love is relegated somewhere in the back. And Paul says, man, I'm worried about you guys. If Paul could look at us, the 21st century church in America, I think he'd be worried for us. And it's coming a time where we need to hear and know the voice of the one who loves us, our bridegroom. And so James, turn to James chapter 4, won't you please? Let me read to you James 4, verses 1 through 9. Now, I'm reading out of the ESV, and uh, I'm going to run through that, and then I'm going to read it to you through the message. Sometimes a paraphrase really helps with the thoughts. James begins speaking in the proverbial knowledge of a Jew, and he says this, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? It's that your passions are at war within you? In other words, your flesh, 
Your soulishness, your carnality is fighting to get its way. You desire and you don't have. You even murder, maybe with your words, even glances, looks, actions. You covet, but you can't get it, you can't obtain. So you fight over it, you quarrel it. You don't have it because you don't ask. You ask and you don't receive it because you're asking with the wrong motives because you want to spend it on your passions. You're an adulterous people. There it is again. You do not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. We're fooling around. We're having an affair with the world. Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives peace and grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll have to flee. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He'll exalt you. Pastor, we're in a season of joy. This is bumming me out. You really can't have true joy till you have true love. You've got to get it aligned correctly with Him. Some of you need a joy. God has got a joy for you that, that He wants to impart into the depth of your soul. But you've got to be released. I remember counseling a guy that was having an affair on his wife. And uh, when I confronted him, he was mad that I made him choose one or the other. Well, who am I to make you choose? You've got to decide. And he didn't know why he couldn't have his wife and the lady on the side. Christian. Doesn't work that way, does it? We can't have an affair on the side with, Je uh, with Jesus. He wants all of you. He is jealous over you. And he wants you to draw near to him. But let me, let me tell you what's happening when we cheat on God. There are seven traits that you can tell that people are having an affair on their mate in a marriage. Let me go over some of, some of them and see if we can relate to this. We're going to transcribe it over to our Christian walk. Frequent preoccupation with the other. Oh, they're there in the marriage, but they're quite often preoccupied by other thoughts and other things. I'll never forget uh, being in ministry with a pastor that uh, seemed burned out. The marriage was struggling. There were very difficult issues uh, going to counseling. I didn't understand what was going on. I was working with this pastor. I was very angry at the eldership uh, because of how they were pushing this pastor, and I saw him so distressed. I saw him depressed and everything, and I remember going to a seminar with him, and, and then I remember glancing by at, at, at a break in the, in the session, and I looked over on the phone, and this guy was laughing and giggling and, and just all, you know, excited and happy, and I thought, wow, who's he talking to? Wow, I, we got to find out who he's talking to so they can help him with his marriage and situation. Yeah, it didn't turn out that good. 
completely preoccupied. I wonder how many of us are preoccupied with other things that delight us besides Jesus. You know, America loves entertainment. I mean, I'll be the first. I love to laugh. I love entertainment. I love movies. I love movies. But if I need to go to a movie to get the peace and the joy that I need instead of Jesus, my Savior, I'm preoccupied in an affair with the world. Something's wrong. I need to be entertained. And I'll use that word. I need to be entertained by God. He delights me. He, he makes me awestruck. When I think about him, I'm giddy. I'm laughing. I'm amazed at him. Nothing that man can put on film or anywhere else can compare to the Lord. My wife and I went for two weeks in Utah, and we didn't see anything else but nature. And it was like, God, you're awesome. God, we were so entertained by the handiwork of God. I wasn't preoccupied by anything else but the beauty of Jesus and his creation. Amen? So sometimes we're preoccupied. Ask yourself, are you preoccupied? Are you having an affair, men, with your job? Because that's what identifies you. That's what gives you the attaboys. You know, there's someone who not only will uh, uh, support you, but in fact identify who you are in him. He speaks your destiny and your identity, and that's Jesus. How about this? They begin to confide in the other instead of their mate. We go to everybody else but Jesus, don't we? We've got self-help. You know, many churches are turning into self-help groups. We've lost the altar call for, for a book, right? Read this book, five easy, five easy Ways to Have Peace. And, you know, all this stuff. And, and you know what? And now I understand, please, don't take this too far. I, I, I totally get the need for wisdom and counsel. There's wisdom in the counsel of many, and we need that from each other. And a good book can sure help. But I've, and I know you have experienced God touching the depth of your soul when you weep at an altar. When you lay yourself down, it doesn't even have to be at an altar, at home, in your car, wherever you are. When you've put everything else aside and you're no longer confiding and getting help from this person or that person or that advice or this advice, dear Abby, you're not going to write to, you're going to go, dear Jesus. And he's got a solution and he's got an answer. But our affections are divided. Spend a lot of time together. These people try to squeak out every chance they can because it's exciting. There's, there's an excitement hidden in the danger of having an affair and things and feelings and emotions are arising up and it's daring. Ooh, ha, ha. But the writer of Proverbs says that it's, it's death. It's death. You know, you can drive in a car super fast. That's really exciting until you hit a brick wall. And again, we're not spending enough time with our first love. And it's true of all of us. All right? Everybody, just take your shoes off, put your toes out. We're all going to be stepped on today. Is that okay? Because we need to get drawn back to God. Drawn back to God in this. Here's another trait of an affair. They begin going to the other person for their needs. Whether it's sexual, whether it's emotional, whether it's support, my wife doesn't understand me, my husband doesn't understand me. 
We can have affairs with other things. I feel great when I'm playing my sports, when I'm gambling, when I'm doing my thing, when I'm drinking, whatever it is that you're having an affair with. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every one of us. We're easily preoccupied. Our flesh is easily uh, needing to be stimulated. But if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh and you're going to reap destruction. There is a love. There is a power. There is a peace. There is a compassion that Jesus has to satisfy every need. Everything else is a cheap imitation. The devil is constantly imitating the Holy Spirit. He wants you to go ahead and buy a pack of peace. Go ahead, light up some peace, and you'll have a stimulus of peace for just a little bit. It's a cheap imitation of the peace of God. Come on, numb your feelings just a little bit. A couple more beers, a little bit longer at the bar before you go home. Pastor, you're talking to Christians. I know. But we replace the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, well, that's not working for me. But it's how much are we devoting? How much are we killing the flesh? What we want to do is entertain the flesh and have Jesus minister to our spirit. It doesn't work that way, folks. You can't have uh, your spouse and an affair with someone else. It doesn't work. You can't divide your affections. That's what James is saying. Here's another. Five, you begin to lie and make excuses. Come on, how many of you lie? I lie to Jesus all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm too tired to read tonight. I'll think about you when I lay my head down on the pillow, Jesus. I should call that person. I've been feeling the Holy Spirit tell me to call that person. Ah, it's late. I don't want to wake him up. No, I won't do that. Come on, we begin to make excuses. We begin to lie. And with Jesus. Remember that New Year's resolution? It's July. <laughs> How'd you do? That was, that was a, resolution, a resolution to yourself. Don't make resolutions to God. Because you ain't going to keep them. <laughs> I was going to lose that weight. And I was going to fast. And now I'm going to pray. And I'm going to do this. And we begin making excuses. Then we begin to compare. See, when you're involved in an affair, you begin to compare. And then the person that you are engaged and married to, they, you begin to say, oh, yeah, well, they don't do that like they do. They're exciting. This, yeah. Yeah, well, that one's not washing your clothes. That one's not making your meals. That one's not uh, sitting around seeing you in your underwear. <laughs> but we begin to compare. We begin to compare with Jesus. Jesus didn't answer my prayer. Jesus didn't do this for me. You know what? I've been listening to these YouTubes, and, and boy, these guys, these scientists and these evolutionists, they, they kind of make sense. I'm a little worried. This Jesus, he, it just doesn't come. This Bible is really confusing. This Bible stuff, it seems archaic. You know, people got a lot of, they're making a lot of sense with some of these things that are coming against the Bible. And we begin to compare. We don't do the research. We don't dig in. We don't find the lie of the enemy. We just begin to compare and drift. The number one reason we lose people, that people walk away from their relationship with the Lord, is because he didn't perform the way they wanted him to. Disappointed with them. Didn't answer this prayer. And I'll tell you what, it begins to estrange us in relationship. 
And you don't understand why he said wait. You don't understand why he said no at this time. We're just spoiled little brats that walk away. Last of all, resentment of demands. He makes demands on us, and we begin to resent that. I don't like that. I, you know, why should I? You didn't answer my prayer. Why should I answer yours? Seems like you're not faithful to me. Why should I be faithful to you? These are traits of an affair, and I wonder if any of them have trickled into our walk with Jesus. You see, this is what the Message Bible says from James. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Well, think again. They come about because you want your own way, and you fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have, and you're willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each one in your own way. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and His way. And you do suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that He is fiercely a jealous lover over you. What He gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud, but he gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom. Cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before your master. It's the only way you'll get back on your feet. Amen? That's what we're talking about. Now, I have spent enough time uh, convicting us. Hopefully, the Holy Spirit has shown us our affairs and our estrangements to Him. So let me tell you about this love that is ours. Even, even in our adultery, even in our spiritual lackness, His love is fierce for you and I. This statement that he makes is amazing to me. This, he says this in James 4, 5. In the ESV it says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. They say this is one of the most difficult passages to translate from the Greek. And the concept is that he yearns, he is longing, yearning, zealous, he is jealous over the spirit that he has put in you to dwell in you. Now, we would think by reading it that way that he is jealous and yearning for the spirit that's in us, but not us. And that's really not what this verse says. What it says is he put his spirit in us. He invested himself in us. Therefore, he is jealous over us. 
He invested, in other words, everything he is and everything he has in you and in I. And he is zealously jealous over you. Do you remember we were bought with a price? We are no longer our own. We belong. We've been wed. We've been married. We belong to him. We're not his property. We're his love. We're his affection. This God of the universe who is in control of everything cares about your toenails and about your hair. He said, I've numbered the hairs on your head. He says, I know every sparrow that lands on the ground. Don't you think I'm jealous over you? I love you. And when we slight him, his love doesn't decrease, but his grace increases to beckon us and to draw near to him and to call us back. This is a love. How could we? How could we even offend that kind of love? A love we've been waiting for all our lives. A love we've been craving for and we've tried to take it in through food or any other way we could have it or addiction or drug or sex or whatever we're looking at or whatever we're saying and speaking. We're looking for anything when we have just what we need and it never ceases it says that his love is continually poured into our hearts pouring out he's affectionately jealous over you his love is jealous over you he's jealous where you spend your time he's jealous where you give your heart where you give your devotion he's jealous that you'd laugh with him you would have joy with him he's jealous over every thought that you would have And he wants to share his nature and share his identity and share all that he is with us. How is it that we're so easily gone astray? And he says this, I'm so jealous the Spirit of God that was made to live in you wants us for himself. He wants to restore you. And this is the amazing thing. This is, this is what blows my mind. He's not going to condemn us. When we turn to Him, when we turn to God and resist the devil, He knows He's done. He's lost. Do you understand that? You see, you see we think because of what he did for us and the spirit in us and the word of God, we can resist the devil. Devil, get under my feet. Devil, get under my feet. But you forgot the first part of the verse. The first part of the verse says, turn to God. Repent. Change your thinking. Change your devotions. Look at, here's the thing, here's the thing that destroys the devil. Not the volume of your voice, not the King James scripture that you use, Not the thus saith God and your tongues. But you have turned your devotion to the Father. He knows that's it. Forget it. Forget it. He's done. Because you have enveloped yourself in the love of God. You've turned to God. You can resist that devil. He's got to flee. Because he's got nothing that can compare to the love of Jesus, which is in Christ. Nothing. 
So yeah, he says, cleanse your hands. Because you see, what does he mean by that? The, the actions and the deeds that we do. It's, it's a reference to our activities. Come on, let's cleanse our activities. I've got liberty in Jesus. I'm saved. Good. I'm going. My liberty lets me do this, lets me do that, lets me do that. Well, you know, all things are permissible, but yet not all things are beneficial to your love relationship with him. This isn't about legalism. This is about devotion. This is about love. You know, tell your wife, well, I'm just going to go out with the neighbor lady again this week. Because we have a good marriage. Yeah, we're going to keep it good. You ain't going out with the neighbor lady. Or you ain't going out with the mailman. We're not going to have any of that. No, it's a devotion. So cleanse your hands. Come on, begin to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, where have I been having an affair on you? Where have my affections been drawn to? Cleanse your hands. Then he's, you sinners. Then he goes on and he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, that's the heart. That's a mindset. Double-minded, tossed to and fro. Look at if you have doubts about something within Christianity, you have doubts of doctrine, you have doubts about Jesus, you have doubts about God, get to work. Get up off your butt and do some studying. Begin to search the Word of God. You don't have enough information? Are you kidding me? We're drowning in studies, drowning in teaching. There is absolutely no excuse for the church to be double-minded. Work, a workman, rightly dividing the Word of God. Present yourself to God. Come on, let's get serious because the world's getting really serious against us. That law in Canada about hate speech has now entered into California and is now coming through into the United States. It won't be long where the persecution's coming on us. And if we're having an affair with the world, guess who you're going to go with? Come on, I'm pastoring you this morning. I'm pastoring you this morning, and I'm telling you that there is a love that is so great that we have not been paying attention to. That's why he says, clean your hands, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Then he says, be wretched and mourn and weep. You know how you get there is when you realize how far you have strayed. The Bible calls it drifting. Have any of you ever been in a rowboat? Have you ever been fishing? You didn't put the anchor or you thought you put the anchor down? Right? Next thing you realize, where is the shoreline? You've drifted. The thing about drifting is you're completely unaware of drifting. How far have we drifted? How far are we drifting from God? The when, when you find out how you have offended the one you love, when you find out that you have disappointed their love, you've taken it granted for too long, then you begin to weep. Then you begin to recognize, oh God, forgive me. And James, being the man, being the Jew that he is, listen, he was Jesus' brother. Get this man, this guy lived with Jesus, ate with Jesus, walked with Jesus, and didn't believe in Jesus. was his brother. Jesus, you're a jerk. He basically said that. Why don't you go up to the feast and show all your magic there? 
John had to say because he didn't believe in him. And then James had a visit one afternoon. Who is it? Your brother. Rose from the dead. Paul tells us he made a special visit to James. That changed the man. (laughs) Changed the man. Changed the man. See, he didn't follow him through all of his teachings. He didn't spend three years following him, did he? No. He, he, he had a passion for God, and then he, he met the living Jesus after the resurrection changed everything he understood about his brother. So when he calls us to mourn, do you think that James found himself wretched and mourned and began to weep over his attitude towards his brother Jesus? How about us? Can we do this? Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why? Does he mean forever as Christians we're just supposed to be like all our lives? No, he's saying about this issue. He's saying about what we're being detracted and distracted from. Weep over these things and come back to Jesus and come back strong because he says if you humble yourselves, I'm going to exalt you. See, this amazes me about Jesus. Why doesn't he just spank us? Why doesn't he make us get in a car accident? Why doesn't he give us a terrible disease and then we'll turn to Jesus? He doesn't do that. He doesn't work that way. What he wants to do is have a heart-to-heart with you, draw you back and woo you back by his love for us. And he said, if you'll humble me, I'm going to exalt you. Now, who would do that? The love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to exalt you. Just come back to me. And he says this, and this is the key statement. He says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Take a step forward. Take a step forward. Bow your heads this morning. Would you take a step forward? Would you draw near to Jesus right now? Draw near to Jesus. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if this prayer rings true in your own heart, then agree with me in your heart to Jesus. And I pray, O oh God, that today we have heard your heart, that it's been more than words, but we've heard your heart. And I confess my sin, the deeds of my hands, and my double-mindedness. I have been more interested in me than you. I have set myself on the throne, and I put you as my co-pilot. God, forgive me. How dare I? How dare I? You invite me to your throne. I tell you to sit on the other side. God, I pray for us as a people. We would weep. We would humble ourselves and we'd say, God, forgive us. I've been too easily distracted. I've gone after other things. God, I'm praying for someone here this morning that can't get past themselves. You're so wounded and you're so hurt. You've struggled all your life for an identity. 
for someone to love you. So you've had to love yourself. You've had to guard yourself. There are people here with such walls up to guard. And you let, you, you have such tight control over your lives as to what comes in and what goes out for fear of pain and sorrow. And I'm telling you, if you would open your hearts to Jesus, he'll protect you. If you would become vulnerable with him, if you would but draw near to him, he will draw near to you. So this morning, this whole room is an altar. Would you draw yourself near to him? Humble yourself, and he's going to come running. And he's going to hold you and embrace you in his love. Without scorn, but with grace lavished upon you, love lavished upon you. Holy Spirit, would you begin to woo us that that jealous love God has Would you begin praying to Jesus? Would you begin talking to him? Just talk to him. Tell him you're sorry for how you've looked at other things. Jesus, this is between you and us now. Pour out on us. Pour out on us.